but my God, were they big goals. And other people have done them before, but Travis hasn't. So let's see if Travis can do it. Hey guys, how's it going? James Hughes here, co-host producer of the Grinding for Greatness podcast. Super, super excited for the guest that we have coming up. Travis Rossback, who is founder and inventor of Hydro Flask. As well as that, he's, well, for our visual consumers of content, you're going to watch me read from this list because I've tried everything in the world to remember all of this and could not do it. For our audio consumers, um, ignore that last part and uh, pretend that I'm not reading from the list. Founder and inventor of Hydro Flask, business broker, airline pilot, professional speaker, founder of Tomalo Group, working with celebrities, industries, and countries with advising and consulting, scuba dive master and instructor, U.S. Marine boat captain, general contractor in Oregon, Hawaiian real estate license holder, yoga instructor, Reiki master, member of the Explorers Club, and fellow at the Royal Geographical Society. Travis, how's it going? Well, James, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to see what we get into. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know it was one of those things um, when we were trying to find guests and your name came up. One of your creative entrepreneurial outlets was enough to fill an entire show. And then you just keep diving deeper and we keep diving deeper. And it's like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> this guy, we have to get on the show because what you do, what you embody is more or less the entrepreneurial spirit that is in all of us. Right. So one thing that I really want to do is I want to take us back to the common denominator in all of these successful businesses is you. Let's go back to when you started um, trying to figure out, you know, maybe you don't want to be someone else's lackey. Maybe you don't want to be working for someone else for the rest of your life. Maybe the best way for you to win in life is for you to bet on yourself. Let's go back to the start of that journey and then go on ahead and uh, we'll flash forward our way through here. Yeah, good question, James. I think that it brought up a couple of different ideas, a couple of different things. I think the original um, nexus of the I want to do business came when I was about 12 years old. My next door neighbor had died and I didn't know him very well, but I his sister came out to do the estate sale. And she said I could have one item in the whole house. And there was like, you know, there was a picture of this naked lady. And, you know, it was like, oh, I like that. But I was 12, you know, and it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Going through the house, looking at these Rolexes and like, he's really wealthy. And we're eating government cheese. And we just live literally right next door. But he's living this life of opulence. And we're living this life of poverty. And all of a sudden, I saw this bookshelf at the top of the stairs, and like the lights go on, and like the angels were singing. It was amazing. I said, "I want that. I want that right there." She's like, "You want the bookshelf?" I said, "No, nah, I want I want all the books." So I had all the books. She gave me all the books, and they turned out to be Jim Rohn, Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, negotiation, marketing, sales, all of these legendary who's who of late '80s and early '90s self help and business. And I spent a lot of time in my room grounded and, and in, in Salem, it rains a lot, Oregon. So I just, I would just pour through these books, no pun intended, and, and just learn everything I could about business. And I just had this real desire just to learn as much as I could. And then I met my dad when I was 14 and, and uh, he was in St. Croix, the U.S. Virgin Islands, still is, Cane Bay Dive Shop. 
And so I started to actually get to like work in the dive shop and actually run the dive shop as I got older and older. So I kind of got to put these Brian Tracy, you know, philosophies and practices into real use. And it was, it was great because, you know, what Brian would say in the book is about 180 degrees opposite when you're actually running a dive shop in the Virgin Islands as, as a minority. And I got to learn both. And so that, that always really stuck with me that no matter what I did, I was going to do it for myself and I might work for somebody. I might get a paycheck from somebody, but nonetheless, like I work for myself. Beautiful. Perfect. And so it sounds like a lot of those, it, you know, we're really big on mentorship, you know, finding the, the people who have already done it, finding the answers through them and trying to more or less prevent a lot of the hardships that could be avoided by hearing those things that have already been said. So it sounds like from a very early age, um, right in the peak of that developmental aspect, you are being filled with these sales concepts, with these uh, marketing concepts, with everything to try to make you um, really want more and be able to create that for yourself. And so as you were doing that, as you were getting that perspective of seeing it one way and then reading it the other way, how did you figure out how to combine those two strategies together? Because you were saying, you know, what you're reading in the book, you're finding out in principle, it's not quite working out. So there's got to be some level of adaptation in that mindset to make that work, which for you is creating a big picture, making you comfortable on both extremes there. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, probably when I was done flying, I was done being a boat captain in a, in a dive instructor and master and all that got back to bend oregon and started a fence company bend fencing and that's when i was really running a real business it was you know door hangers and and chamber of commerce and and pressing the flesh and going to all these meetings and and doing all that where in the in the islands we were just trying not to get robbed at you know gunpoint you know and we were trying not to get shot sometimes and there was a lot of days where we'd show up and you know, the shop had been broken into and, um, you know, we'd have to face that head on and then getting back to Bend, Oregon and, and doing a fence company was, you know, and meeting realtors, you know, and, and becoming friends with realtors. It was, it was a bit of a culture shock, honestly. Um, but it, it also was like, oh, this is a lot easier than, than the islands, you know, like nobody's shooting at us here, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just, you know, it, it was, it was easier somehow. It was less scary not getting shot at. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I know, I know some realtors like to think they're vicious and like they'll, you know, <laughs> stick their teeth into you. But it's a little bit different when you're really being shot at and having to deal with yeah. real world dangers there. Um, just to make that into a, a slightly bigger metaphor. Um, we talk all the time on the show about when you're an entrepreneur and you know you want to be more than just an employee, you're stuck in that employee box. You're stuck in that realm, in that mindset of, you are what, what's given to you basically. And you can't really think of that big picture. Well, something that happens there is you become reactionary to everything that goes on around you and you can't start to plan. You can't start these, put these foundational things in place to be able to grow. And one thing that was beautiful with your journey right there, I mean, stretching the metaphor because you were in real danger, obviously being shot at and having that kind of uh, things that were going on there. But, you know, as a business owner, as you're first starting out, 
you cannot get in that purely survival mode where all you're doing is just dealing with the daily problems. You wake up and you're just dealing with what happens today. And then you go to sleep and you wake up tomorrow, just dealing with what happens today. Cause at that point, you're never going to get farther than today. You have to be able to grow. And so for you there, you were able to not only get a real world taste of that real survival, but then also of that business of, you know, we just got broken into inventory is going to be different there. How do we handle this? All of these issues there that handle that that's being reactionary. And you got that, that kind of callous to a lot of that. So then when you go over back to Oregon and you're able to get slightly on top of that box that we talked about, where you're starting to see a little bit more of that big picture, you start to see networking as other businesses and not just other people within your company. When you're starting to do that process, you're kind of starting to fill out the other side. So you're kind of getting uh, an experience in both sides there. Obviously, um, I would imagine that the, uh, the first part was less comfortable um, than the than the second one. Um, it was more exciting, maybe sometimes. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It was it it's it, it never gets old. You know, like it's it's scary, but like living in that constant fear does really wear on the human psyche and the body you know like we do have maslow's hierarchy of needs for a reason like once those are taken care of like you said like you can then start to kind of not coast a little bit but you can you can accelerate and you can grow after you have your basic needs met and and the the safety need and the food and survival and shelter and 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 sex or you know all of whatever those are once those are met it, like it's easier to just accomplish everything else. And so, yeah, getting back to bend was, um, it, it was like a weight was lifted. It was like, I didn't have to watch my back as much. And I also had to like consciously tell myself and luckily I had a, a girlfriend who, who would help me with it, but like, don't be such a dick. Like, don't be so overreactive. Like this guy's not going to shoot you. He just, he just wants you to pay him for renting the the bulldozer, you know, that kind of thing. It was like, okay, like calm down, you're safe, you know? So I had a lot of those psychological like talks with myself and I had, you know, employees and stuff who would help me. Like I had one guy who used to say like, you know, settle down, Roro. He was Mexican guy and he called me Roro. He's like, you know, settle down, Roro, settle down. It's like, okay, yeah, you're right. Just, you know, everybody's safe. We're all good here. <laughs> and so with that right there, with that, with that high energy, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of things that get built in with that. And I mean, you're talking about the actual physical culture shock that goes with that too. Um, something else we're major on is as you try to build the foundation for your business, as you're setting out these structures, your career is based on you, the person and your foundation. So your well-being, your mental health, your physical health, all of that's going to be just as important. You have to focus on that as you grow. So when you came back and you were experiencing these culture shocks and you were just, you know, talking about dude's not trying to shoot you. He's just trying to get the money from the bulldozer. Worst the case, he'll take you to court and that's going to, you know what I mean? It won't be that extreme or whatever. So I'm sure it was pretty limiting in terms of how, far the business could grow and what else you could do because you were having these mental checks in, in your development there. So let's talk a little bit about how you address those. And then some of the success that started almost coincidentally existing because you were getting the personal self taken care of. Wow. 
Did you ever think you might be a psychologist if you were doing <laughs> podcasting and photography? Like- I always joke that um, wherever I work, I'm always unofficial HR because official <laughs> HR has to write a report. I'm just not going to say shit to anyone else about it. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there was a, a very real time of, you know, I, like Ben Fencing was sort of my first real business, and we had we had about 25 employees. Where we were we were killing it. Like we were doing really well uh, with the fence industry here in Bend, Oregon, um, climbing up right before the crash. And then I took off and went to Oahu and, and I found Aloha. And as soon as I got there, it was like, it was the best of both worlds because it was still, uh, Hawaii is more Americana than the Virgin Islands, but I still had the island vibe and feel and a little danger. I never really felt, you know, how we go home. I never really got that because I, I, I just never experienced it. I don't, I didn't find that to be a real thing, but I had a little bit of the best of all worlds. And so we ended up moving to Hawaii and started a, a sign company. And I think at that sign company is where I really start to like come into my own and start to feel a, like a happier balance between work and life and safety and success. And even though at, at the fence company, we were making good money and we were having a lot of fun doing it, it eventually it became really hard work and it became tiring and boring. And, and like you said, like there, the, like the, like there just wasn't that action and adventure part of it. I needed new challenges. I needed new adventures. And, and so Hawaii satiated a lot of that. So uh, two quick questions on that. How old were you uh, when you started the Hawaii part of the adventure? Um, uh, <laughs> well, let's see. So I moved to Hawaii in about 2006 and I was born in 78. Okay. I'm not going to put myself and give someone a chance in the comment section to, uh, 28, 28. All right. Perfect. Ish, ish. Yeah. Yeah. 28 ish. All right. Yeah. So still, still right, right in the the throes of, I always talk about your twenties. It's very easy to see them as your late twenties at that point. It's a lot more comfortable to see it as your pre thirties. So if you use the Mm -hmm. end of those twenties as the setup, for the thirties part there for us fellas, that's when that frontal lobe is going to stop developing. That's when you're going to kind of start really starting to get big picture, um, fully understanding that aspect of it. Ladies, you've been there far longer than us at this point. So bear with us. Uh, 28 ish is right around when that happens. So that's awesome. So it sounds like with you as that entrepreneurial spirit, um, burnout is something that constantly, if you're grinding for greatness, that, that threat of burnout is always lingering right there. And it sounded like you started to hit that level of burnout at the fencing company. What is it that you personally, um, when you start to identify that burnout, cause I always say when you feel that you're burnt out, you've been burnt out for a month at least before that moment and you actualize it. So what are some things that you start to identify when you start to feel those burnouts? And then what's the, uh, the way that you, basically keep your yourself going um, when you are burning out. Yeah, that's, I, I would say that um, setting lofty goals has always been my, my jam. Like I've always set really high goals that didn't seem necessarily quote unquote impossible, but my God, were they big goals and other people have done them before. 
but Travis hasn't. So let's see if Travis can do it. And, 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 and accomplishing those goals, like, you know, we pretty much became the number two fence company in central Oregon for a while. And it, it kind of, and I remember at Hydroflask, same thing, like after opening up REI and Dick's and Cabela's and the U S government, the NBA and international accounts, it's kind of like, well, where, where is up and even further from there? And, and money has never been a deciding factor. Like I never thought at Hydroflask I'd make a trillion dollars and I'd retire in a gold yacht and with a helicopter. Like that was never the driving factor. And so by the time I got to the sort of pinnacle of my success, my sort of cap, um, there, there was, there was, you know, it wasn't like, oh, now I want to make another million or now I want to go for a billionaire. That was never my, my, my dreams. So I, I would have to find other endeavors to, to start satisfying my time and satiating my, my boredom really. Cause I would, I would get bored. And so I got a motorcycle and then pretty soon I was like, well, fuck business. I just want to go ride my motorcycle around the world, you know, and, and there'd be a lot of days where I just run away from the shop and just say, fuck you all. You all just keep the company and fuck you all. I got my motorcycle and I'm driving around the world. And I would, I I just take off and I'd go home and I'd start packing. And the first time I did it, my passport was down at the embassy getting another um, visa. So I couldn't leave the country because I didn't have my damn visa or my passport. The next time I, I remember I ran away, I was like, same thing. Like, fuck you all. I'm out. I got home, started packing, throwing all my shit in, went to put my boots on. I didn't have my boots because I was getting a zipper fixed at the, at the moto shop. And I was like, tomorrow I'm going to run away. And, and then I, but I just stayed. <laughs> and it's funny how the universe kind of protected you on both ends there. They were like, Oh, let's just go and keep you around just for a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got at least another week or so here, Trav. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and so much of that too. So like, once you start feeling that burnout, there is these, these emotional extremities, these, these reactionary um, circumstances that are coming from these emotions. And so much of what it sounds like of especially where you are now in terms of avoiding that burnout is you know yourself you know when you're starting to feel unhappy even if there's not like that tangible answer of or that that key word that we're looking for you don't have to know that key word you just have to know the emotion you have in yourself you don't have to label it identify with it understand when you're feeling those feelings and what you need to do to get a positive outlet that's going to prevent this complete scorchers motherfucker mindset of fuck it i'm done they'll deal with it and then come back and have to deal with the repercussions because in business uh, you know you can do a lot more damage that way especially to the foundation of something that's trying to grow big and so you don't want to start chunking out foundations because of in the moment reactionary uh behaviors so it's fantastic that you were able to find that in yourself well and i I found it I lot of, I found a lot of reprieve and, and soul solace in, in my motorcycle and, and just getting on the road and that would clear my mind and it, I would I could put myself in potentially dangerous situations where I would I would have vision like clear vision like every squirrel, every rock, every car, every tree is trying to kill me. That's the only thing I'm thinking of. I'm not thinking about inventory, I'm not thinking about employees, I'm not thinking about the fucking banks or the money or any of it. Like when I flew jets, 
like when you're flying a jet, like you, you're just flying a jet. You're not thinking about your taxes. You're not thinking about anything else. You're not thinking about the scratch in your new car. You're just thinking about getting that jet up to 35,000 feet and flying safely. And, and then you start getting bored and start thinking about taxes and stuff. But while you're actually taking off, like you really got to focus. And like, it wasn't until years later where I actually had an actual fair dinkum therapist and she taught me halt. Travis asked me like, Travis, tell yourself to halt. Are you hungry? Yeah. More than likely I'm fucking hangry. Uh, are you, uh, a is what, um, uh, al- um, angry. Are you angry? Yeah. I'm, I'm angry. Cause we're out of money. Uh, are you lonely? Yeah. I'm lonely. It's lonely at the fucking top. Um, and then T are you tired? Yeah. I've been working 90 hours the last four years. <laughs> I'm exhausted, you know? So, now that I have this halt technique where I try to remind myself to halt and ask myself, like, what are these, if not all four of these, am I feeling right now? Like, I wish I would have had that when I first started. Yeah. And um, for what it's worth, the, uh, the host of the show and the, uh, the owner, president of the business, um, he does uh, professional dirt bike riding and side by side for that exact same reason. You know what I mean? He is the president of the company, but also boots in the ground. Sometimes as a laborer, he'll be running the machines also. So yeah, exactly with that right there. And what that's telling me is we've had a a previous guest on the show talking about, I think it was 30% gray space keeping in your brain for the purpose of being able to play for the purpose of being able to let that be that, that area where you can think about anything in the world without those consequences so you have that creative freedom well once you start getting burnt out and you're looking for those those physical outlets where it is that kind of fly by the seat aspect of it when you're doing that you're you're forcing that capacity to be in such a limited space and only when you can provide it right so if you're scheduling out that time yeah, that's perfect. You know, that's your time to play. That's your time to be free and prevent all of these things from coming in. But if you're getting burnt out and you're only finding that time when you have to scorch earth and go out, that's not really going to help. That's only going to maybe get you to halfway being back to rejuvenated, but you're not actually playing in that space. You're not actually getting anywhere progressive. You're just healing in that space. And you have to be able to halt. Like you're saying, you have to be able to identify those factors before you're just in reactionary mode of trying to keep out of being burning out. And so well, let's talk and about the scorched, the, the scorched earth, sorry, just the, oh, the scorched earth can also look like drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. It can be, uh, you know, overworking. It can be, um, you know, it's, it, it, it became a rush to work really, really hard for months on end and then open up a big account. I mean, that was, it was like an addictive gambling situation where, you know, hey, we have a shot at Cabela's. No shit, Cabela's? Yeah, how many stores? Like 150, 150, oh my God. So it it was easy to work 24 seven or even, you know, 20, 26 and a half realistically towards that end goal. But by the time you get there and you reach it, yeah, it's, you have to take that, that gray space and, and, or else, you know, back then I was drinking alcohol. Well, yeah. What, what good are you if you get home at eight o'clock at night and start drinking till 10 and you wake up at five, like that's not sustainable. You, you just can't do it. And you know, the, the weekends and going blowing off steam, like 
now you're better off like sleeping, spending time with family or spending time in the office. But like you, you, you have to kind of pick your battles and you have to pick your own destiny at that point also. Exactly. Um, one beautiful thing that you mentioned right there, right from the, the beginning, how it can look like multiple different avenues, right? A huge, huge thing. Um, you're going to always hear about that, that, the hustling culture and all that stuff, right? It's very easy to hear grinding for greatness and think that you're literally grinding yourself to the ground. That may be what it feels like, but the whole expression, work smarter, not harder, you can do both. You can work smarter and harder at the same time. Don't work for the sake of working. Don't just grind for the sake of grinding because that's not going to get anywhere, right? I know one thing you were talking about too, coming home and drinking or, and then moving on. So for me personally, um, I haven't, I stopped drinking five years ago for that exact same reason. I was completely grinding for the sake of grinding, just pushing as hard as I can to try to create some kind of name. I was uh, creating a video uh, business here um, locally and nobody really cares about video around here. And so like you're tr constantly trying to push hard 12, 16 hour days of just trying to create the market at the same time of establish establishing yourself in the market. And so drinking just kind of became that easy go-to way of doing it. And I came to a realization, I came to that point of this isn't sustainable. I can continue to do this and plateau, but that's not why I'm working so hard is the plateau. I'm working hard to grow. So you've got to identify those factors that are taking away from that gray space to be able to grow and be, be able to effectively plan your future. And so you have a culture that is, you know, we, we glorify alcohol with all of the commercials. And I mean, growing up, you know, all of the propaganda, Brooke Shields is, you know, this beautiful Budweiser, you know, model. And it's like, well, she's beautiful. Well, they're selling me Budweiser, you know, and, um, it, it's, 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 it's counterproductive, but at the same time, so when I started to recognize, okay, well, what's Anheuser-Busch doing for their marketing? Like, how have they, how have they got me so, so, you know, so much of my money goes to these motherfuckers. How do I, how do I use that against, not against them, but for me and for Hydro Flask? And so, I, I kind of started using Anheuser-Busch and Coca-Cola and some of these other big conglomerates and these big corporations. And I started looking at like, how are they, how are they pulling the wool over my eyes thinking that this is a good idea? And how can I, cause I'm slanging water bottles and people are drinking water. They're feeling really good about themselves. They're healthier. They're happier. They're performing better in all areas of their lives. And they're having a really good time doing it. And how do I, how do I sell goodness versus, you know, sugar water or alcohol? So, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. That was a little side tangent. I just thought of, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's perfect. I mean, that kind of leads right into that next part. So I was going to talk about, let's talk about Hydro Flask and some of the inspiration you had behind starting it and a little bit about that journey. Um, Cause I know we were in Hawaii we're getting a little bit of both worlds there. You're finding not only that, that little edge that you need to be able to grow and survive, but you're also growing and surviving in the, the bigger picture aspect of things too. So let's go from Hawaii to that next picture. And then through the entire adventure of hydro flask, some of the pitfalls that um, started to establish during that time. Well, so 
in Hawaii, we started a, a sign company, Oahu Signs and Screen Printing, downtown Honolulu. And there was a lot of competition, but a lot of the competition was they just had a plotter and they would they would cut vinyl and then they would weed it out and then they'd put it on a banner and you'd have a white banner with red letters and there's your banner. So um, the digital printing technology was just sort of becoming available to like the masses. Like I could afford a 40 or 64 inch printer. And so we, we started doing the, the sign company and having a lot of fun with it because it took a lot of the business skills that I'd read about and learned about over the years and practiced over the years. And I got to learn from others that were actually in it and doing it. Like we became an agency helping people come up with their branding and their marketing and their colors and their, and their swag and swag stuff. We all get and shit we all get and, and the difference thereof. And it, it, I, I had a renewed sense of, passion for business with the sign company and then one day i was thirsty and went into the sporting goods store to get a water bottle that wasn't a single-use plastic water bottle and the whole shelf the whole wall was empty and i was like what happened and they said well the owner just got back from france and there's this stuff we don't really know what it is it's bpa we don't know what that even means but as a precautionary measure she pulled all the water bottles and I said, well, who's going to fill up the wall? And they said, nobody. There's nobody to do that. There's no other water bottle companies. And it just hit me in the back of the head. It came out my mouth. I will. I will do that. And the guy laughed at me. And, and But I saw myself up on stage in years ahead, like 10 years ahead, talking about this highly successful water bottle company. And it was, it was a really surreal, strange moment where it's like, I just stepped through a portal. And and, and I, I was conscious of it and I felt like, okay, I'm like almost obligated to do this. And so I went back to the sign company. I asked our employees, like, like what water bottles do you drink out of? And the first one, she said, you know, this aluminum water bottle, you're going to love it. It's great. So I bought one. I tried it. It was awful. Uh, and then my brother said, Hey, I, there's this metal one. It's single wall. You're going to love it. I bought it. It was awful. And like, okay, fine. I'm, I'm going to do water bottles. And so took off to China and China's like, yeah, no, we don't do that. <laughs> like China does everything is what I've heard. And now you're telling me you don't do insulated water bottles. Yeah, no, we don't do that. That's stupid. So, um, had to start grinding through China and figuring out who would help me make water bottles. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. I know. Um, so not too long ago, we had a guest talking about digging for gold and this whole theory with um, this old, old story. There is uh, an uncle and uh, we'll say, you know, his, his son, they're digging for gold. Um, they have the tools for it. They get about three feet down and then they give up because they're not finding anything. They throw the tools away, say, screw it. We don't want them. Some other people come around, pick up the tools and say, oh, wow, we can dig for gold with these. Start looking around, find the hole that's already dug. They jump down, they dig only three feet more, and then they start hitting gold. So we're always kind of looking for that digging for gold, right? Opportunity. Opportunity is something you will hear me talk about on every single episode because it's not something that is just willy-nilly and just happens in front of you or it doesn't. Opportunity is always there. It's you 
are you mindful in looking for it? So in that moment right there, you, you didn't go to the store that day with the idea that you're going to be the inventor and founder of Hydroflask. That's not how that worked out, but that's what ended up from it because you've led everything up to that point. The entrepreneurial spirit within yourself was still thriving, ready to go. You weren't completely burned out to the point of you're just being reactionary because when you're just being reactionary and the opportunity comes up, whew, that's going to be a lot of work. And if you're already burned out, you're not going to want to do a lot of work. You're going to miss that opportunity right there because you're not allowing yourself to be able to grow. You in that moment were able to see that opportunity, have that vision, and then be able to grow from that. Um, one thing too is being aware of those competitors too. The first thing you did to come in, crowdsource that right there. What is just the general market doing? So you're getting aware of the market before you start to plan to attack and go in from there. And what's next for Travis? Um, so yeah, you know, like even just finding that aluminum bottle company, I, I, I didn't like it. it. It dented and the gold came off and I didn't know what happened to the gold stuff that had flaked off. And so I called the company and they were like, we don't have to tell you anything like screw you. You're bothering us. And so like, that's not how you treat people. Like I'm a customer. I paid you good money. It was like 25 bucks. Like, come on, don't, don't treat me like that. And, and, and that, like, I wanted better for other people, you know, like I want, I didn't want anybody else to have to go through that same situation. And so I thought, well, screw you, watch this. I'm going to do a water bottle company and I'm going to have good customer service. What do you think of them apples? And so, yeah, just, we ended up finding, I found a factory who, you know, it was, it was actually a multitude of factories that they could put this together and they could put that together. And then pretty soon we got samples and the samples we take out into the wild to get pictures of beautiful people surfing at the beach and uh, we'd hand them a bottle and I'd get their picture and they're like, okay, thanks. I'm like, no, no, I need the bottle back. We just have two. And they're like, no, no, we want to keep it. it. Like, this is cool. I really want to keep this water bottle. I've never seen anything like it. And so that was like the market research stage and, and everybody loved it that touched it and tried it or, or got the picture taken with it at least. And so then we ordered the minimum order quantity and, and got those in, moved back to Bend because it's expensive to live and, and do business in Hawaii. And then having an outdoor brand, uh, Bend was just kind of starting to get some traction here in Oregon about, you know, we're the outdoor capital of, you know, outdoor sports capital of the world. And they were, you know, trying to have all these different campaigns and stuff. And um, but 2008, 2009 hit and there wasn't a lot of money for anybody to do much. And so we had to go through those struggles too, but yeah, we just kept grinding. Yeah. just kept days. grinding. It came back and found that opportunity in Oregon. You know what I mean? Came back and was able to, uh, once again, stay open while you're grinding, looking for those opportunities because they will present themselves and they will be there. Yep. Yes. Sweet. Well, is there anything else you want to leave us on? Any other uh, major takeaway message that you have for us? I, I just think act boldly and unseen forces will come to your aid. I really, I truly believe that. I've found it is not only true for myself, but I've seen it with other people as well. And I, I do believe that if you, if you have that inspiration or you have that moment of what if, try it, just go do it. Just see what can happen because greatness can come from it you just have to have the, the confidence and the courage and the tenacity to to go and do so, a lot yeah. of times that worst case scenario is only worst case scenario in pride 
nothing's going to grow in that comfort zone. So you have to go out, push yourself, be uncomfortable and make yourself better. Well, guys, well, Travis, before we uh, sign off here, let's say the audience wants to get a hold of you. Let's say they want to follow you and hear more of your message or just get in hold of you. Where can they find you in the digital space? I am a little bit in LinkedIn, Travis Rossbach, R-O-S-B-A-C-H on LinkedIn. And then also Travis at tumalogroup.com, T-U-M-A-L-O-G-R-O-U-P.com. Perfect. Awesome. And as for us, you know, you can consume us everywhere that you guys consume this content. Keep them rolling. Likes, shares, subscriptions. We love them all. Comments. Let us know what you want to see next. We'll catch you next time, guys. We appreciate it.